Is owning comics better than renting them via a subscription? Todd and I dive deep into this and other questions on today's panelism. Welcome to Panelism, a podcast where we talk about the comic books and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. A very stuffy nose, Taylor Trask. I've had a oh. allergy thing going on uh, the last couple of days. It's almost over, but you may hear me sound a little nasalier. You may hear me blow my nose in the background. Hopefully not, but uh, just getting that out of the way right out of the gate. Yeah, well, I'm good. I'm planning on clearing my throat a lot during this podcast, so get yeah. ready for that too. <clears throat> <laughs> these are this, this, this is uh, the month. The, the, these are the days of the illnesses. Yeah, uh, and right? you know the the just the sounds and sniffles of amateur podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> there's always that gap, right? There's always that like we're we're in it. It's like four four plus weeks, you know, right before daylight savings time kicks back in in again, where it's just like you know everything seems like it's a little too dark, a little too yeah. cold. You're like, God, is this is this reality now? And then then everything kind of changes mid-March. Like, oh, there, thank God. Yeah, like- well, what we have in uh in Orange County at least is like we have this weird warm period in the in the very onset of winter. It's like, you know, time changes, it gets darker, it gets cooler. And then from like Christmas to February, it's lovely. <laughs> and we don't tell anybody about it because that's when we all go to Disneyland. Um, <laughs> and it's it's so great. And then it's like almost a little too warm. Like, this is so weird. And then, <laughs> and then February starts and it's like rainy and shitty and cold. And it's totally weird. I mean, thank God for the rain. Like it's unbelievable right now. I can see snow capped peaks, like almost from my house. It's, what? it's unbelievable. Yeah. How close are you to Palm Springs? Random question. Oh, very far. Very far. Uh, I mean, what, uh, at least 90 miles, probably more like 100 and something. Oh, that's right. You're south of San Diego, right? No, no, no. No, San Diego's like in Mexico. I'm between San Diego and Los Angeles. Okay. And Palm Springs is like way inland. Oh, okay. Um, Not way. I mean, it's 90 miles-ish, but it's, you know. That's like an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's not so bad. Palm Springs is a, there's a fantastic like single peak there. I guess there are actually more. And I, went, I took my parents there in the spring one year and we rode this lift up to this mountain. And we're like in the snow. It was pretty well, cool. goddamn it. So, okay. Moral <laughs> of that story, if you're, if you're down in the dumps and, is where, come to charming Palm Springs. Yeah. I mean, see, you know, they got, they got a couple great music fests. I hear it's really easy to get tickets. Um, well, the reason yeah. I ask the cryptic reason why I ask if you were close to Palm Springs, Palm Springs is very, very close to Hemet County. And if you know anything about oh. Hemet County, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Hemet's uh, yeah, Hemet's not far. I Hemet is closer to me than Palm Springs, okay, yeah, it's like between, but yeah, that, that was a joke, a very deep reference joke for some of our listeners who, if you know, if you know what that means, it's kind of hopefully kind of funny. But if you don't look up Hemet County and just see what you see, yeah, see what uh, you see. 
an update on the weather uh, before. Um, <laughs> Let's turn now to Todd for the weather. Todd, what you got down there? <laughs> before we hit record, I said, I'm turning the heater on and I just turned it off. <laughs> yeah, I was I like, it took two minutes and I was like, whoo, too hot. <laughs> Rest assured that the heat in Todd's apartment is off. Well, let's get into it because this will be a meaty discussion. Um, if you came here, you know our episode is going to be about this, this topic of ownership versus subscription. And this is kind of a, a, a veering off of a normal panelism episode. You know, we've gotten in this nice groove where we um, you know, review a book uh, every week and have a little discussion about it. Once upon a time, we had the Todd and Taylor show where we talked about you know, various sort of evergreen concepts and topics and things, sometimes on creativity, sometimes on you know, the process or the, the, you know, the, the, what is sci-fi, you know, what is all these kinds of things. So we're, we kind of wanted to go back to a few of those, and, and we had some juicy topics, I guess, or juicy questions we'd been noodling on uh, off to the side, and yeah. just we, thought this would be a good one. It seems like frequently, too, uh, in our last few book discussions, we've said, hey, let's uh, put a pin in that because there's a larger discussion on one yeah. of these topics. And oh, this is point. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is definitely one of them. So it's like, uh, you know, I, I've toyed with things like comicsology um, off and on. And it's just it, it always kind of brings me back to this, this almost fundamental philosophical question of when it comes to comics and graphic novels – uh, you know, ownership versus subscription. What, how do, how do you feel about those things? How did, how do they influence how you feel about the, the work? There's just a lot of questions we can delve into and, and sort of, you know, kick around. Yeah, so, I, I totally agree. And it's also, I, I mean, just to, just to make clear, I mean, what we're talking about are is as far as I know, the only one available is comicsology with its unlimited well, subscription. I mean, Marvel's got an app. DC's okay, got Okay. Yeah. App. Good point. Good point. So, uh, and I mean, ownership DC being I mean, this like is a, buying. DC Universe is a good uh, entity to rep, continue to come back to during this discussion because they have not only the, the digital subscription of comics, but all their other DC stuff is bundled into it, Prime style. And so, you know, like, mm. what does that mean for the future of comics? Like, there's so many ways to take this. But I, I want to start with kind of a, a fundamental breakdown of what we mean by ownership. And what we mean by subscription, just so we're, I think, oh yeah, yeah, aligned. exactly. I was trying to jump ahead there. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> Go ahead. Which is it's tempting to, but like you know, in ownership in media and specifically ownership in comics, I got you know, I don't want to get into like some uh, you know Keynesian discussion on you know the economic imperative of ownership and blah blah blah. Just but as it relates to you physically owning books, um, you know. It evolved out of the, the the idea of owning just regular books, you know, collecting anything of of value. Books have always seemed to kind of been that thing that you know, other than jewelry, that people just always have kept around. So this idea of owning a, a you know a book and you know specifically and showcasing on your shelf. Now, when you when you talk about comics uh, slash graphic novels, we'll just say comics for the for the catch all phrase of all you know graphic storytelling. Um, when it comes to that, it's, it's that extra benefit of you get the books on your shelf, but it's also, you know, a little art gallery in its own, its own right. You know, you, you kind of feel like that's, it, it's almost like that, that extra level, um, at least, at least for me, you know, there's a lot of people when they, they own the book, it's, it's almost like people who used to own CDs and, you know, they just kind of stuff them all in a giant thing and don't really think about them, uh, you know, yeah. beyond that. So it's, it kind of runs a, a spectrum. I like the way you put that, uh, having your own little art gallery, uh, because that to me is such an argument, not only for ownership of comic books, but for the physical ownership of it, because it becomes 
you know, that object of, of art that you've got in your house. And I think one of the big things that we've probably mentioned before, but where CDs, uh, CDs always felt like they were sort of grasping at a, a previous generation's ownership thing. Like, mm. you know, when I stopped using CDs, I didn't miss putting CDs in a player really, but I can see how uh, vinyl records have that appeal and that collectors, you know, when there's, when you have a, a beautiful shelves full of vinyl records, you do have that art, you know, on yeah. display in a great way where a CD at one point it was just so commoditized. It was like every jewel case looks exactly the same, Yeah, you know, until you pull it out and like pull out the liner notes, there's no real art. So, well, and you know, you know, you're looking at a much smaller, uh, representation of that album art than you would have True. on a vinyl. Anyways, you feel de- extra cheated. I mean, it's it, it speaks to the larger question of why in 2019 do we own media at all? Um, you know, I think uh, on the one side, you, it's easy to kind of think of like, well, why would I own DVDs or Blu-rays when if I have a reliable internet connection, I can literally get anything I want to either rent or buy or just or stream as part of my subscription. I don't have to own another piece of plastic that's just sitting there. You know, it's like that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and to your point, like CDs and jewel cases about the, you know, kind of the same thing as you get more deliberate with the, the media, you know, if the book, you know, a paperback book is not as valuable as its hardcover version is not as valuable as like, you know, a, a limited press version or an antique version or, you know, some you know high, high level of the cover you know, it, it, as it becomes more intentional, it becomes more interesting to physically own, I think. Um, yeah. But it's just it is this question of with so much media to consume on a just ongoing basis, like you know, how are you? I often even even ask myself, like when I buy books, like what is what is qualifying this particular book for ownership, own, you know, physical ownership versus you know owning it on an iPad or just renting it as like part of Comicsology? It's it's it kind of keeps swirling in my mind. I mean, I, how do you? Does, does, is this way too deep for the average buyer? Am I am I going? You know, <laughs> is this is this way way too esoteric? No, I mean, I think uh, I think one of the promises of like, God, I don't even know how to describe it without using this corny phrase of like digital revolution or something was that feeling of like, oh, we're going to free ourselves from all this stuff we own mm-hmm. that we do, you know, that's that we can just play from any device. Um, you know, I've and it can but, all spark joy for us and we don't have to have it in the way. And, and but we but now we're faced with all these other condo, apparently. Yeah, no, I, I have. <laughs> But uh, but now we're faced with this other dilemma of like, like there's almost a, I mean, there's, there's many, many other dilemmas here. Um, and I, I don't want to throw too many out there. I know we've got, we've got a great outline to hit. Um, but there's definitely that there's, there's almost a more ephemeral quality to it now mm-hmm. because there's this sort of uh, um, uh, what do I want to say? It's like a false scarcity of stuff, you know, like there's some stuff you can get on these subscription services and there's some stuff you can't. It's like in my Google play music subscription, there are some albums that I own that just don't exist on Google play. So I can only listen to them on a CD, you know? Mm. Um, and there's, there's meaningful art in those things that I can't access with my, you know, digital utopia Nirvana device. Yeah. Um, what, but like, because you don't, I mean, it does. Music and books, I think, are are on one side. I keep thinking in terms of spectrums. Like, mm. music and books are on one side of the spectrums. Like TVs, you know, like TV shows and DVDs, you, you know, are probably on the other side um, of that spectrum. Because you don't, it's rare to walk into somebody's house these days 
and they go, let me show you my DVD collection. You know, it's right, like, right, right. or that that's the status symbol as it once was, you know, where like you walk into somebody's living room or something, the more they have sort of showcased the, the cooler <laughs> they are. Like that just doesn't, you don't see that. It's almost like you walk into the situation. It's like, God, why do you still own all this? Like, yeah, you know, I know. <laughs> why is this still here? Like, why hasn't this been recycled? So it's, there's, it's never been a concern because you know, those products, it, the, the way you enjoy them is not the physical. It's never been the physicality of yeah. this. Never, ever, ever, ever. I mean, even the the limited edition box set stuff. You're still. That's just the the package. Like that, you're still the the content is the, the actual thing. Whereas you get to music, and then especially in books, the book is the like the package is the content in terms of yeah. books. Music is always in this weird sort of sort of unreal space because you have. You know, the, with radio being around so long, there's a certain stream of music that you always just expect to have out in the ether that you just you pluck at when you want it, and you don't have to worry about it. And then the you know the stuff that's your your favorite album, your ownership of that thing increases your favorability of that thing. Yeah, with music, at least for, it has with me. It's like if I own that CD, it's like I have a much even if I don't even like I don't hold it, I don't clutch it in my hands as I walk around, but just knowing that I own it, that I physically have it, gives me a sort of a higher like, oh, there's that's that album. You know, that's that so it's it doesn't just kind of pass in, in the background. It actually has sort of some some attachment to me. Well, and I, I would bet that part of our attachment to those things is also based on the time it took for us to consume it. Because I, I think of like there are movies I own that I have most movies I own, I'm not afraid to state state it that way. I have watched fewer times than most music I own mm. than I've listened to most music I own. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it only takes me 45 minutes to listen to a record. Well, I, I might listen to that record four times in one day, yeah. but it takes me two hours to watch a movie. I, I'm less likely to like uh, repeat view it, even if I own it, but there's a different like instinct there. Maybe I'm going way off the rails here, but you know, a comic book or a, or, you know, just a traditional book um, with the, 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 the things in it that are made of letters that mean things. Um, mm-hmm. Those you know, words, those are uh, there. It's like, it takes so much longer to get through that, that the mm-hmm. physical object always almost means something more. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, there's books I don't want to get rid of, but I know yeah. I'm never going to read it again. Oh, it's same. Like, Totally, you know, totally. Yeah, both um, both in non comics and with comics. Like, I mean, I have a yeah. bookshelf stuff that's like, and a lot of those I bought on Kindle just so in case you know one day I was like getting antsy, I'd, I'd have it at least, or I right, right. Um, found some digital version of it. But you know, it's like the books I I'm moving on the physical, you know, just regular book books side of the shelf. Like, you know, I'm kind of I don't uh, I really you know if it's an antique I'll get it. You know, if it's interesting an antique, or if it has some kind of unique interesting, if it's really well made or well bound. Um, that's interesting, but otherwise I just, I don't, I don't see the point, but I still own ownership of a book on my Kindle kind of still feels the same. You know, it's not the, the, oh. you know, the aesthetic and this is again, just regular books. Um, but when it comes to like comics and graphic novels, it's almost the opposite where the ownership of the physical thing means way more than ownership of it digitally. Um, to the point where I'll get a book digitally, you know, on, on Amazon or Comixology or whatever it is. And then like, I'll own it up, you know, spend the full price for it so I can physically own it, but then I'll end up getting it again physically. If I really, really like it, you know, mm. I bought all the, um, you know, I bought all the white Knight uh, single issues when they came out, but I had to buy the physical trade paperback cause I really, and I would have loved if they, if they had put out a $10 more expensive, like hardcover uh, of it, I would have bought that instead. Cause I kind of want the, I want the museum piece of this thing, you know, the, the classier, uh, you know, more, more, more uh, intentional it is the, the higher likelihood I'll probably own it physically, at least, at least for me. Interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, I've definitely made those comments on our show before where I have enjoyed something so much. Uh, I mean, Unnatural is one. You know, that was just a, a last week's episode. Number a lot of listeners like that book. Um, yeah, where I, I thought the artwork was so beautiful that, I, and you in your intro to this episode justified owning that, which is it becomes a little art gallery yeah. on my shelf. Um, but I think, uh, I, this is a weird thing to say, um, I think I've crossed that Rubicon of <laughs> the, of viewing my comicsology library almost the same as my physical oh. comic book library, only in a in a very narrow definition of it, which is I own a lot of single issues of, and I haven't done this for years, but like it used to be, you know, I would dig through the crates at the comic yeah. book store, mm-hmm. and it's gotten to a point where. Uh, I have things now in, in my comicsology library where I, I'm almost comfortable going, you know what? I'm probably never going to read that, <laughs> hmm. but it was on sale. You know what I mean? It's like we've, we've mentioned many times there was this huge Marvel sale yeah. Um, yeah. last year that, uh, that I alerted <laughs> you to. And then I went crazy with, I could talk about that for the rest of the year and not have to you know buy a new book. And then later in the year, there was a big DC sale on Amazon and I, I didn't go as crazy, but I bought several books there. Crisis on infinite earths being one of them. Um, and, uh, I've definitely gotten that point on my Kindle, like my, um, you and I've talked about this Japanese word Sundoku, which is just piles of unread books. And I used to have this great anxiety about, oh my gosh, every time I buy a book on my Kindle, like for Kindle, I'm just adding to that Sundoku that I don't even get to enjoy the sight of these books because they're all just on this little digital black and white device, you know, but I've, I've gotten over that. I've just, I've just decided, you know what? it's fine if I have a thousand books on this Kindle and, and never read them because yeah. I'm not going out and buying a lot of like 1499 Kindle books, but if they sell a book for 99 cents, I just feel like, you know what? That's, that's how I bought so many books when I was younger. I would just went to use bookstores and, you know, grab them for 50 cents, a dollar, whatever. So yeah, if Amazon, you know, yeah, I'll buy that history of Scotland someday. I might be interested in that. Okay. Well, that, okay. <laughs> that, that's, getting that's, there with comic books. That is a great transition point because you know, that is – I would think that's a great argument for then just get a subscript, a Kindle subscription or a Comixology subscription that lets you access kind of a you know near-infinite virtual library, a Spotify for books essentially. I mean Kindle's got it now and, you know, obviously Comixology exists. I just – there's this weird sort of hump that you go over when it's like, okay, when I'm buying them, even if they're like cheap, you know, 99 cents or whatever it is. And I I own them in my library. I'm I'm okay if I never end up reading them. You know, if they were even if they were full price or something, I'm just like, you know, I just I have it. I'm I've I've participated in supporting that artist, you know, at some level. Yeah. Um, or I've got it if I ever need it. You know, it's like, hey, they're <laughs> if I if I'm never on a plane, I'm like, argument. oh shoot, there's you know, it's, if I but when you have a subscription is essentially the same thing, you know, there's you know, some titles notwithstanding, but like it just feels a little more different. Like when all of a sudden you're accessing this thing, you're not physically, you're, you're not owning it digitally or physically. You're not owning it in the sense of like, you know, this file is mine um, you know, or whatever. I mean, and we'll just sidestep the whole discussion of like, but it's not really, you don't really own it. You're just licensing the file, blah, blah. Like I, I get all that, but just like for the sake of the conversation, when you buy a Kindle book, when you buy a comiXology book, you own it yeah. you know, for the duration of your, your existence. So it's like when you transition to that subscription, like I, it, 
a subscription in terms of TV and music makes perfect sense to me. Cause it's like, right, you right. know, for me, it's like the albums that aren't on Spotify, I still ha- I've ripped. So like, you know, this, I have the high quality you know, yeah. file and it just kind of blends into my library. So it's all there. And I'd much rather spend 12 bucks a month to get access to all the stuff than to have to spend, you know, like probably 36 to $52 a month, maybe, you know, when it was buying individual CDs or whatever it might be. So it's like, that makes sense to me when all of a sudden it's books. I don't know why, even though like a lot of people you'll read, you know, with a regular book, you might read it once ever. And then it sits on your shelf for forever and you never come back to it. So then why physically have it? A subscription makes perfect sense, but yet we're still, when it comes to books, and especially with comics and graphic novels, there's this weird jump that you have to make. And I've noticed I'll let you. Sorry, I keep keep ranting. I'll, I've noticed <laughs> I got a rant of my own that I'm building steam on behind the scenes. <laughs> and I've noticed too when I when I've used Comixology, the subscription service, I sort of undervalue the books a little bit more, and I don't like that feeling. Anyway, go ahead. No, that is a great point. Um, and I'll tell you what the the I, I just um, the the rub of this, like the devil in the details, there is that unfortunately now those subscription services. Have that artificial scarcity, whether it's on purpose from the owner of the service, like whether it's Kindle doing that to try to get you to buy more Kindle books that you want, or whether it's some crazy publishing, uh, you know, agreement that you couldn't possibly fathom or, you know, or solve in any point. The problem is like I, so last year looked really hard at that Kindle unlimited subscription for that very reason. And there were, I don't remember what they were, but in the summer, there were a couple books I wanted to read and I, I thought, you know what? I keep getting the 30-day offer from Kindle. I'm going to try it out. I did not yeah. try it out because the first thing I did was search for those books and they weren't available on Kindle Unlimited. The oh. second thing I did was looked for them digitally in my local library. They weren't available. So I looked for them in print in my local library. They weren't available. So I was like, fuck it and bought the books yeah. on Kindle. Yeah. And that is the that is the big problem I'm having with comiXology. So I, you know, the... Uh, precursor to this event of you and I talking about this is that I try I'm trying out the 30 day subscription of comiXology unlimited this month. And um, the rub there is the same. It's like volume one uh, free borrow it on comiXology unlimited volume two and on not available. Yeah. uh. And that is extremely frustrating. You get a discount on them as an unlimited uh, customer. I get it, but it's not unlimited. Yeah. You know, that, that's the thing yeah. that's so frustrating to me is like, no, there's definitely limits. Um, well, let's, let's add into the mix then DC Universe, which is, you know, the platform, the app itself, you know, whether that be on your desktop or your phone or your tablet, that app gets you, you know, basically most of DC's back, back catalog um, in terms of comics, plus all these new shows they're making, plus all these other sort of side things that, you know, discounts in their store. It's basically DC world as a, as a prime membership, you know? So you get all these other things when that's the case, then you look at almost like something like comiXology unlimited and just go, you know, what, what's the point, you know, it's, it's, does that incentivize, you know, more people to kind of flock into these really gated, gated communities. And then you have like, you know, almost like TV, you know, you've got Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. You'll have your, your DC app, your Marvel app, oh. your Image app. You know, just they what? tried that you know early on before Comixology sort of yeah merged it all together. I mean, Image used to have their own little Comixology slice slash app. Um, it might have been too soon. It does like- not incentivize me. Uh, and 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 it, it and there's a weird conscious decision there, which is it just actively aggravates me that there's another subscription. Um, mm-hmm. It's like. 
how I can't watch TBS shows on Netflix or Hulu because they want me to have another subscription to like TBS's app or whatever. Or um, I I just, it's, it's infuriating to me. I have enough subscriptions. Oh, I was now I remember my other example. It's like slate plus. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hear me now. Slate plus. I just the other day tried to fill out their survey and it, it totally borked on me, but I was filling out the survey and you know, at the end where you could leave comments, I'm going like, I'm never going to pay for your plus system just put them on stitcher like i will pay stitcher for one place to have unlimited access to the podcasts i like i would probably even approach that like a cable subscription where i paid you know a buck a month for each different podcast but what i won't do is have a subscription to stitcher and a subscription to slate plus and a subscription to cafe and it's like that drives me crazy well then on top Um, of that if you if you do like i stop subscribing to the Brett Easton Ellis podcast because he's on Patreon now and you have to listen to them through Patreon. They included like a link that, that they were like, you can listen to us on, you know, once you're paying, use a special link in your favorite podcast app. I tried it on pocket cast and uh, Apple podcast just to see, and it didn't work at all. So I'm like, okay, I can't, I'm not listening. I'm not listening to podcasts through Patreon where I can't even like save my plate. You know, it's just like, uh, it is bizarre that Stitcher or Spotify or Pocket Cast or you know like these pla- these podcast platforms haven't done exactly what you said, which is look, we'll handle all of the transactional stuff. Um, you guys just you know tell us what you want. You know you, 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 there doesn't have to be any exclusivity if you don't want, or if you do, that's fine too. Um, so it's like comics. Comicsology was trying to be that, you know, to bring it back to yeah. this. That was. For comics, that's what they were trying to do. So, like, you know, it makes business sense for DC to do what they did with with Universe. Marvel's version is tricky because the Disney, you know, the Disney app sort of supersedes a lot of what Marvel would do. So, you know, Marvel can still do the comics piece and you know a, a lot of the the ancillary sort of store stuff and brand stuff, um, but they're not going to get to do the the TV shows and all of that, at least not yet. So it's you know, it, Image couldn't do it. They sh- they would uh, that would be amazing. You know, if Image had one, you know, but it, all the Image creator deals are are kind of all over the place, especially yeah. now. So it's yeah, that's going to be. It almost as I'm rationing rationalizing through that, it almost makes just the idea of ownership in the comic space like seem all the all the easier. It's like look, I don't have to deal with any of that if I just own the book. Yeah, Even, no, I mean that's. Know? I was going to say the same thing about Marvel's platform. Like I don't know what the plan or threat or whatever you want to call it is for them to yank all the Marvel movies from Netflix. But it's sort of like, Hey, whenever you do that, I mean, you're pretty much guaranteed that I'm going to buy three or four of them like on that day, because yeah, I'm going to want to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp or Black Panther at some point, but no, I don't want to subscribe to your dumb Disney platform for all this shit. Like that, that also infuriates me because it's, I, I guess it's, it's, uh, you know, it's the, another walled garden kind of thing of like, ah, uh, I just, I don't know how to process my distaste for that. Um, but part of it is that I've gotten over the personal, like frustration and stigma with something like Netflix. Like I don't, I don't have a pirate Bay mentality of like, I should just be able to, you know, download any show I want for free anywhere. I'm happy yeah. to pay but just make it easy for me and give me a variety, which is what Netflix and Hulu give me. Don't, I mean, it's don't funny push me Pirate. only into your universe. It's funny you mentioned Pirate Bay because I was that guy until Netflix made it stupid easy. And then, you know, most TV shows, even if it was on Netflix, and then at least like, hey, 
buy it on Amazon and iTunes the next day. Like, okay, great. That's all I asked for. Just a simple way to get this, not six months exactly. later. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that was, that was, and it still has informed my complete resistance to iTunes was in, but in the early days, I just didn't use iTunes at all because mm-hmm. you couldn't take those songs with you. You couldn't play them on another device. Oh, because there was you DRM early on. There was DRM and they yeah. weren't, they wouldn't, uh, I think at one point they wouldn't even download them as like MP3s or anything. You could only have that like proprietary Apple M4A or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, you know, like you've, you've made like, Piracy exists as an easier route around complexity sometimes, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, so that's, that's it's what Marvel and between... DC are doing. It's making things more complex for us. Yeah. That's it. Man. And I think, you know, that was like image was trying to split the difference there for a while. Uh, I, I didn't really, I wasn't aware of their app, but I know you and I have bought digital files off image before they were on fully on comiXology but you were able to buy whatever it was called, like the the Amazon. You could buy the CBR yep. or a PDF or whatever the Amazon file was. No, and it, they'd, just, they'd give them. They'd give them all to you. Yeah, yeah, and then just upload it to your like your app of choice to read it. That's a great point, though. Yeah, you're right. Image was doing that on their site, and I I switched to Comixology long before they announced that they were stopping all that. Um, just because I needed a central repository, I was getting a little tired of having to manage all this through a, you know, my own library. I wanted to, I wanted it to sync quick, you know, faster, yeah. um, and just have that repository build up over time. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> Let's. I had another multi file thing. Well, I, to some extent, like just to just to add on to my point, there is like that's I probably buy more music through Bandcamp now ah, because Bandcamp I it lets me feel like I'm supporting the creators of this music directly. I mean, I am, I shouldn't just feel that way. I am doing that. Um, I can download the choice of file I want. I mean, 100% of the time um, I upload those things to Google play. And it, even if that thing was already available on Google play, you know, I know like, it's like, Hey, I'm just helping this artist. I'm, I'm buying this album. I'm downloading it. I'm putting it here. Uh, that's the case where I like that, but yeah. I recognize that's not how sort of your average consumer feels about it. So well, your average, you, so yeah. when image did that with the multi-file formats, they were totally, you know, taking themselves out of the average consumer game. Like yeah. your average comicsology person is probably not going to take those extra steps to go to a website, buy a file, download it, then figure out how to import it into their reader. It's, yeah, you know, right. it's a lot. You're right. Well, the, one of the big factors we're sort of leaving out of this discussion is, um, and it's unique to comics too, which is the the well-run com- local comic shop. Yeah. Um, and people go, but there's bookstores. Uh, uh, yes, but bookstores are much more generalist venues. A well, if you've never been in right. a re- in a good local comic shop, it's like walking into a good local wine store. Like. The selection is impeccable. You're going to get a, a, a usually a very strong sense of the owner's point of view. Like it's just, it's wonderful. And we've talked about that in past episodes and hopefully we'll be able to start featuring more of those, those places here. But like, that is an experience where you're, you know, you're there. It's almost like buying the book in a, in a really well one store is, is sort of the souvenir of that, of that moment. You know, it's like, there's, there's a really cool feel good thing. If you walk into a great store and you're inspired, walking out empty handed is almost like impossible. Like you can't yeah. do it. You feel like you're missed, you're you're wasting a huge opportunity to like be enlightened or something. So 
you kind of stretch this, like you almost have this, this, this baked in amplifier of, of ownership in these stores that no other media has ever had. I mean, like, yeah, you know, music used to obviously, and does not anymore. Um, for the, I mean, the Grimey's in Nashville was, you know, exactly. That was exactly the example I was about to give too. <laughs> I was going to say, well, like Grimey's in Nashville or like third man, like to feel that sense of curation in it. And I'll say that to me, and I, you know, I'm not talking business model stuff, but one of the reasons that like borders totally failed and I, and I have always, Ooh, are we going to talk about I borders? I know you and I have talked about, I'm going to direct reasons. a documentary on the downfall of borders. That's, that's going to be <laughs> my Netflix uh, success story, but go I on. Got, I got an insider for you. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah. One of the clerks. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> no, um, borders to me, like, like, uh, Best Buy is another great example. Mm -hmm. uh, Best Buy saw the threat of the internet borders, saw the threat of the internet. And what they tried to do was like, be the internet in a physical shop, oh, and it's like, yeah. but you didn't make the user experience any better. Yeah. You know, you don't have everything like the, the actual thing they should have done was run the other way and yeah. do what comic book stores are doing. Now we'll get into this more in our next single shot where we talk about like digital versus physical and stuff like that. But um, you know, there were business reasons why comic book shops exist the way they do and why all things are not available on comiXology unlimited, yeah. but um, comic shops still exist as that like great curated spot like that you're talking about. And in my mind, we like, when we bring up like Grimey's and third man and uh, 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 Parnassus in Nashville has that, which is owned, uh, or at least was was uh, was founded by the author Ann Patchett, and it's a small bookstore. And you have that curated feeling when you go in, you know. And I bought two physical books this weekend when I was there because both of them are like beautifully printed, mm. and you know, one of them was one of the uh, staff picks. And the other one was displayed on the shelf and it was like, wow, this is like, this is exactly what I get in every, almost every comic book shop. Yeah. But yeah. not in many, I never got it in a big bookstore. You know, when you went to Borders and you saw the table set up for display, like that was just the garbage that was like on sale from the corporate masters. You know, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, like when I, when I go into Barnes and Noble to buy like a blank notebook or something. <laughs> I see those tables of just trash out. That's like ten percent off, and oh my god, how many years like, did I fall for this? You know, they were like, oh god, it's it's like the, those books that are like you know on the, on the surface seem kind of amusingly interesting, and they're like, yeah. wait, why would I ever need this? Like, and it's like it's like repackaged public domain information, but with like quirky oh, yeah, yeah. graphics no, or I something. Mean, and you're like, oh yeah, oh, no, no, I don't need this. Um, but okay, let's let's bang through. There's some some key questions that I think will coalesce a lot of these yeah. thoughts. Bang through them. Um, I have listed here like five or six of them. Um, I said owning, or I wrote rather, owning comics or graphic novels is a statement. It makes you more of an art collector and less a book owner for most people in parentheses. What are your thoughts on that statement? Uh, no, I, like I said, I, I agree so much that I think you, you have talked me into the ownership of certain digital <laughs> artifacts that I own of like, Oh, you're right. That's definitely the argument for me owning a natural volume one. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and it's like you and I have talked about before there is, there exists a, um, a hardcover version of Scotty Young's Oz, uh, or he was the artist on it at least. Oh um, yeah. The which Drew is this beautiful. Yeah. The, our friend Drew has been talking to us about, um, 
you can listen to Drew on our vision episode. I don't remember what number that is, but uh, I have been wishing for a similar thing with Scotty Young's I Hate Fairyland. Yeah. But they have not quite omnibus editions, but they have like collected hardback edition, editions. I I, yeah, and it's really nice looking, right? I want the big, huge, fat one that's got every God. volume in it, you know? It looks like a Mother Seuss book or something. Like, Oh, that would be it, awesome. Imagine if they did it like, uh, you know, like antique book binding or something. Oh, that could be. And they yeah. could sell it for 60 bucks and God, I'd buy it. That you know? Oz thing retails for one twenty five. What? <laughs> that, I don't remember the deal that Drew had on it, but yeah, I was in a comic shop like a week after he recommended it to us, and I saw it in person and went, "Holy crap!" Like this is oh, neat. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I mean, I couldn't think of. I mean, we I've talked about Tale of Sand on this on this. Yeah. Scene. Oh yeah. But I'm like, I could never imagine having that digitally only. No. You know, it's like uh, I mean, there's I have so many books on my shelf which were purchased with this in mind, but it's like you do kind of feel like, you know, you've, you're, you're putting together a library, but you're also curating an art collection. Like I kind of feel like I'm a gallery owner in some respects and you know, you know, know. it's here and this here. And you just, you kind of, it's that extra duality that I think the regular books, you know, if, if you're really into antique books, you'll probably disagree. But for most people yeah. like regular books, we're never going to achieve that. Yeah. Well, and tacking onto that, plus the, um, the idea of the comic shop is like this curated, you know, museum kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's where like those indie publishers uh, like drawn and quarterly um, uh, or I think it's called Archaea. And yep. you've mentioned, uh, uh, is it, is, is Mobius the publisher of those? Uh, no, humanoids. No, no. Oh, humanoids. Right. Mobius is the creator. Um, but those it, like a lot of times those indie publishers go out of their way to make that artifact. I mean, every yeah, drawn yeah. and quarterly book, almost everyone without fail is so beautiful. It's like, you want it on your shelf. You know, yeah. it's not oh, just a DC or Marvel trade paperback. And as much as I love image and as much as, as like as beautiful as their art is, they are, they are just like above average trade paperbacks, you know, like for something like fairyland or whatever, I want, more than that i want like the you know the artifact that makes it worth keeping on the shelf i was uh, i had started a conversation a couple of weeks ago with somebody on instagram in one of the threads and i was like you know image because there think about how many amazing uh single issue covers and variants oh, yeah. have come out under the image name they could do some seriously gorgeous like limited edition almost coffee table book collections of all these cover these variant covers that just are ridiculously i mean they could do 10 volume sets of these things and sell them for a hundred. I mean, they, there's so many things image could do that would, you know, benefit their creators and like just create, you know, sub streams that a, a lot of us would buy in instantly, immediately. Um, it's just, it's baffling to me that they don't, and there's any number of reasons why they wouldn't, but it just baffles me to me that that's not a priority or they don't have somebody thinking about that. Any of these places don't, you know I mean? Think about, I mean, DC does, but that's, it's almost kind of an afterthought. Um, in a lot of in a lot of ways, there's the yeah. the idea of highlighting the the artifact. I think you know, drawing quarterly, like you said, does it does it beautifully. Like they are, you know, they're kind of the gold standard in a lot yeah, of ways. I think For, so. Without peer, <laughs> yeah, consistently. You know, there's some there's some really good like independent studios that do you know custom work for different different releases. But it, you know, uh, drawn and quarterly as a publishing company yeah. um, seems to really get it. And I think you know that I I would love to see. I, I hope if you're ever listening to this and you're and you're this person, please let us know. I would love to find a listener who is like has every drawn and quarterly book hardcover <laughs> like in their in their library. I just I want to see or if the drawn and quarterly offices have just like you know this massive 
you're just wonderful library oh of all this God. stuff. I, I might pee a little. Well, just, I'm telling you, like, find the table, the drawn and quarterly table at any Comic Con where they are, and contrast it with, uh, you know, not just like like DC Marvel. That's a whole showbiz thing, you yeah. know, like yeah. their booths. But contrast it with, um, uh, ooh, it's not Image, but who am I thinking of? You know, one of those that has a bunch oh, of like action uh, comic books and stuff, where they're they're so disposable in that way oh, versus drawn and quarterly, where it's like majority hardbound books of different and varying sizes, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. For real. yeah. Um, next thing or next point, uh, does ownership strengthen your love of a book? Well, I think um, it, there's a, for me, it kind of, I sort of meant uh, touched on this earlier. It, it sort of signifies a love of a book. I don't know that if I buy it first, it, it helps me love it, but it's like, if I love it, I want to own it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Totally. Um, yeah. What, what about you? <sighs> definitely. I, I definitely have books that I had purchased almost like, you know, it's like, like, like the, the, the spoils of war. Like, yes, I, yeah. Like these are great works. Oh, right. and now I own them. <laughs> you know, it's it's de- I definitely have those, but there are a couple on this shelf that uh, I sort of got sight unseen for whatever reason. Um, and ended up loving. So they just, you know, it's almost like, Ooh, I'm glad Ooh. now I own it too, but this was a gamble. Like I didn't know. And there's a couple, I I'm fortunate in that I've only, you know, I don't purge my shelf very often. I purge my single issues more than anything, but my, yeah. my trades stay pretty much consistent. I've, I've, I, you know, I might shed two or three a year. Um, and sometimes that's because I upgrade, I take two trades and I may get the omnibus or something. So that's right, almost like, a, right an up an upgrade but like uh, very rarely do i just get rid of a trade because i'm like it's just it just didn't do it for me um if i'm gonna if i'm that unsure about a book i'll get it digitally just so then if it's like if it is crappy i don't have to it doesn't have to take up space and then i still have it yeah. um you know like i i bought uh uh dk2 um dark what which, is oh that yeah the, the noir one the uh, strikes again or no no no, no, no the the crappy follow-up um, oh dk3 no, no, no. It, you know, DK, you know, you know, Dark Knight Strikes Again. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I bought that. I bought that as a digital noir version just because I'm like, there's no, I, I have no, this, no one should own this physically. Like, it's so bad. Um, you know, so it's like, it just having it as a digitally, digital thing is almost like a little rite of passage purchase, you know, in some ways. I don't, well, I, just, I mean, I'm happy that I did not purchase a physical copy of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, like, see? after I read that digital version, I, it was like, whew, I have been dodging a bullet for, for, you know, 30 years and didn't even know it. Cause That's I can't tell you, can't yeah. tell you how many times I've picked that up on a, on a shelf at a comic book store and been like, you know what? I just got to get this and read it. And then I'm like yeah, uh, yeah. 40 bucks. I don't know. Exactly. They, they've gotten really crafty at like really packaging it. Like you, you this exactly. is for you to own, you know, it's like, this is like the watchman. Yeah. The Which, Alex Ross cover and the yeah, like, you know, yeah. golden centennial edition or whatever the hell it's called. And you're like, Oh man. But I'll tell you, but on the flip side of that, maybe this is like leads into the next question you have on there. Um, we've definitely talked about it a lot in this episode and others. Uh, there are probably, um, what do, how do I want to say this? I want to say there's more books I've read digitally that I now want to own the physical copy of uh-huh. than there are, uh, you know, than it works the other way. Like it's more, it's more likely that a digital read um, for a cheaper amount will lead to me purchasing the physical book as well. 
Um, and I have a great example from my experiment with Comixology Unlimited, which is Mouse Guard, which I have, I like just, just ignored for almost 20 years. Like this thing started in like 2005 or 2007 or something. Um, okay. Maybe not 20 years, you know, 12 years. Um, and I've seen it everywhere. This thing is ubiquitous. Uh, and I just, you know, I was like, ah, it's about mouses, mice. That's right. Mice. And they, you know, they carry swords and what do I care? But I started reading it and was like, this is beautiful and I need the physical copy now. And not mm. only do I need the physical copy, I'm like, I need another one for my niece and nephew. And I need, you know, this should be the child gift for someone else. And like, it's great. And the fact is like, I got that on unlimited, but if I had, you know, even if I paid like, I don't know, under $10 for it digitally, I would still have that feeling of wanting it physically. Uh, those books that I'm going to read for free and not want the f- the physical edition of, I never would pay money for them. You know, it's like we, you and I've talked about the uh, uh, V for Vendetta, yeah. legendary book. Yeah. I, you may own it. I've I, never bought it because I think the art is trash. Yeah, and I'm it, like, it is, and I do. But you know, that's a tricky one because it is that you know Alan Moore specifically uh, transcends this a little bit more than usual for me too. Where it's like if it's an Alan Moore important yeah. book. I have to own it no matter what. I, I, and, yeah. And you get V for Vendetta. I mean, because with Watchmen, absolutely. You know, own the, own the whatever the limited edition hardcover. Well, I, I think contrasting those is perfect. Cause it's like, even if I read V for Vendetta digitally for, you know, quote free on Comixology Unlimited, I wouldn't want to buy it. Yeah. But if I read Watchmen on, on Unlimited, I would definitely want to go buy it. I would be like, yeah. this has to sit on my shelf, even if I don't read it again. It's just, oh, 100%. I, I, yeah. I have a lot of books like that where I was just like, oh, no, this, I have to own this, you know, or I should have owned, you know, a lot of times that was because, um, you know, like they're not like us, you know, I, yeah. I, I, a couple of single issues. I'm like, no, 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 I need, this has to be consumed in this format. Yeah. You know, we've, we've beaten the, 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 the discussion to death and we'll probably have another one here soon about, <laughs> so I don't want, I don't want to get too into that. Well, well, I, I definitely want to quote the genius uh, Courtney Love, who <laughs> said, "Back in the Napster uh, uh, like controversy days, she had this great quote. I mean, give her credit where it's due, which was, as far as I'm concerned, only on this one quote. <laughs> and she said, the only people this is gonna like that that file sharing is gonna hurt are the people are like the one hit wonders oh, that yeah. for so long the music." business model was organized around a group just having one hit on a record, Yeah, you know, and then they'd be nine pieces of shit, but yeah. you would have to pay 1999 for the CD, yeah. you know? And she was like, that's who it's going to hurt because those people are just going to go on Napster, download the one song they like. And, and I, to me that makes, you know, that's sort of like, I'm sort of the same argument I'm dancing around, which is like, if you have a crappy book, and I get it for free in some way. I I was never gonna pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a quality control kind of thing. It's like all oh, these people, we're all the money we're losing. I'm like, get yeah, those exactly buy it to begin with. What are you talking about? Like, it's just a, yeah, false equivalency all around. Yeah, that, yeah, that was awful. But okay, let's. That's an interesting transition point to this question. Does a subscription service make comics more ephemeral over time? Meaning, do you know, right now we think of them very much as like this collected thing, whether it's a single issue that's, you know, it's a collection of 10 to 14 pages that's, that does this thing. You know, does, if it's subscription based, the idea of a, you know, the idea of a book only exists because that was the most convenient economic way to translate ideas or story for this format. 
Um, anyway, and some books are you know massive, and some of them aren't. Some of those drawn quarterly books I have are ridiculous. Like Scott McCloud's oh, yeah. uh, sculptor or the sculptor. <laughs> I mean, Lord. but so it's like when you're free of that that convention um, with comics, especially, does do comics just become this kind of ephemeral thing that just hap- that you just sort of you know. You, you jump in the pool when you want to just experience it all and then you jump out, but it's not like a book that you own. And it, it, does the, does the idea of a subscription condition a whole generation of people to start thinking that way? Well, for me, no. And my argument would be the idea that comics are like a, like a, a bigger collected edition of artwork or something like that is really a recent, uh, you know, thing. Like when you think of like comics, are in the form that they are as, as floppy issues specifically because they're throwaway garbage, you know, Um, they were printed on this, you know, cheap paper with this, you know, cheap ink in this cheap four color way. Like they were, they were made to be ephemeral. It's only in sort of recent days and like, you know, driven a lot by nostalgia and, and, and very talented creators breaking them, you know, the, the forms that we've come to experience it as like a collectible or, you know, an artifact worth preserving. But last way of looking at comics. Is that, put, is that what he does? I put up on Instagram. I put up I on Instagram that. Of, of Sam Jackson's Mr. Glass and unbreakable holding up a comic book with his, with his quote where he goes in the movie, this is a piece of art. He's it, it's in the beginning scene when he's talking to the dad, who's buying the, the thing he's in his shop and his shop is basically an art gallery. It's called limited edition. This guy walks in and he's going to buy this like original sketch drawing of like this famous comics issue. And he's like, my son's going to love it. And he's like, come again. He's like, my son, he's like, how old is your son? He's like, Oh, he's four. He's like, no, 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 no. And he basically rips this guy a new asshole. And at the end of his, his, his spiel, his monologue to this guy, he goes, this is an art gallery, sir. And he points at it defiantly. He goes, and this is a piece of art. He kicks him out. And so I was just like, I put up on Instagram, I'm like, he's the original comic Samaye. Yeah, oh yeah, like, I did I saw that, of course. But, I- is, and, but really, like that that see I love that character because that really does like he's he's a little extreme, but he does sum up that sort of that viewpoint of like, oh, yeah. this is this is way more legitimate when it's done well, especially. This is like a beautiful slice of media that like is very unique and very sort of sui generis in, in all the right ways. Well, I love that description now because <laughs> because it reminds me of being the guy, the sh- the, the oh. chauffeur. When a few a few years ago, my niece was like four years old or something, and I bought like a Star Wars collectible figure at a comic book shop with her, and immediately handed it to her to open. Oh. And I'm sure the clerk was like, "What the fuck." <laughs> 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 like it, it was still in the package and it wasn't like a 1970s one or something, oh, Okay, right. but uh, you know, it was still obviously preserved. It was not a new figure like from a current line. And I was like, yeah, well it's princess Leia. She loves princess Leia. Like, here you go. Rip it open. <laughs> she oh. lost the gun like immediately. Oh God. Yeah. Um, like, okay, I'm going to sell the gun for like $10 missing. Yeah. You know, for the, the one person who's missing the gun. I actually, I, I think the, another thing that occurs to me is, I, I actually, the problem I think is that digital ephemera is, is like more hazardous to us uh, because it doesn't actually disappear and disintegrate. You know, it's, it's like um, when they were physical objects and you lose it or, you know, it, it, like it gets water damage or something and it's just, it's just gone. 
like that's there's something kind of beautiful about that sort of like uh, mandala art or whatever you know sand mandalas but yeah. um like it's just it just goes away but the problem i have is that i have all this like sort of digital clutter on my kindle and eventually will in comiXology or you know whatever other digital libraries where i can't ever clear that cache like mm -hmm. it's always going to be there's like a little bit that's always going to be in my brain that's like yeah you own sicario on video or whatever and it's like yeah why do i have that in my google play library can i just give it back interesting not, not that it wasn't great but i'm never gonna watch it again you know um i don't know that's it's almost not ephemeral enough, yeah. um, but it will be when I quit my uh, unlimited subscription, all those things that I borrowed are just going to disappear off my iPad. And then well, that, yeah, that takes us logically to like the final question, which you asked, um, which is, doesn't the subscription model take away a huge social component of books lending? And I'll yes. add one more, more step to that, which is, you know, owning, Books especially, but I, I think I would even – I'm, I'm going to be selfish and say owning comics as well. It probably probably is, is more so. It's really like you know when you pass on, it's a statement about you as a person that can like yeah. can go on, can be disseminated. You know those those books can go on. They can either stay you know collected or can go to a library as a collect. You know, so when when it's a subscription service, you know when you stop paying the subscription, it just goes away. Like there's no marker of you having ever interacted with that in yeah. in physical space. And so it's it, something about that seems a little sad, but um, you know, to your point, the lending situation go is 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 highly compressed. You know, it's it's not the same at all. Yeah, I, Amazon has a really imperfect way of lending Kindle books. Oh, completely. Yeah, but um, and I've only ever successfully lent maybe two Kindle singles. You know, to my dad. Yeah. Um, but I'm not even aware of any way to do that on Comicsology. It may exist. But it's it's definitely not you know in the main menu and front and center and all that kind of stuff. And it's I don't know. There's just something so cool about being like, have you read this? And just handing someone a comic book. I think that's and I think that takes away from the original spirit of comic books, where you you think of the you know you think of like the um, Stand by Me boys, you know, walking on the train tracks with one Hulk comic book between them. I don't know if that actually happens. I can just picture it. And, you know, like it's just been passed from all of their hands, you know, it's yeah. like, that's, that's how they all read everything. You know, um, I have a stack of my dad's comic books from the fifties and they are torn to shit, yeah. you know? And it's like so crazy to look at this and go, yeah, I got like Batman number 53, but it is fucking ruined. And when we were little kids, when I was a little kid, we went into this comic book shop in Nashville and, and you know, took this stack of comics. I, I don't know why I would never do that today to just like, it doesn't matter what they're actually worth. It's like, no, it's just that, you know, you know having that artifact, that's cool, but they were worth up. nothing at the time because they would bring that up. It, think, follow me on this journey. <laughs> comics, as we've established comics straddle two very distinct mediums of their own books and art. Right. But there's a third one that really satisfied what you just described that we've never mentioned, or I've never brought up on the show. And that is baseball cards. Oh baseball yeah. Cards that the, the collectible, the, you know, the trading of them, the sort of the status symbol of certain cards and certain you know spaces, like all of that is, is, I mean, it was funny. I came to that conclusion um, oh, a couple of years ago, I was like, man, why am I suddenly really into comics and graphic novels again? Oh, I understand. Cause I was a big sports cards uh, kid as you know, growing up. Oh really? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is just that re refocused on this stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm much more sophisticated to kind of really, 
you know, do do it right where I wouldn't have been necessarily as a kid. So it's like, oh, this is fun. But like that sports card thing, and and, and I bring that up specifically because sports cards are, are one of the very few things in media that will not and have not ever translated into a digital space. Obviously, subscription yeah. service for, for cards, you know, a digital subscription makes no sense. But even like, you know, people have tried to replicate sports cards digitally and just it fails immediately. It's yeah. just you have to have the card. And there's always going to be a pull of that um, you know, in comics, the only way to really do that right is to is to physically own it. Yeah. Um. And 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 I say physically because you know you it's it's so easy to replicate digital stuff that to have a you know to satisfy that third arm that that sports card baseball card arm of what comics are. Yeah. You have to have the ownership of it. I mean, you and have ha- yeah, you have to have real scarcity, which yeah. is we yeah. only made five hundred sets of this. Yeah. You know, and like when you're at a comic con, and I mean, I I like. God bless all the creators that just have prints of their work. Like that's, I know that they economically have to do that, but it definitely means something more when you get a print from your favorite artist and it's numbered, Yeah, you know, and especially out of a limited run or it's like, this is, I only made these prints for, you know, San Diego comic con 2011. And you're like, Oh, I got it. You know? Um, I remember I used to buy Adam Hughes sketchbook every year. You know, he would have like a con sketchbook, like here's the 2011 here's the 2012 or whatever. And then, and then I realized like, oh, I can come back next year and just buy all the ones that I missed because he's uh, still selling the ones he didn't sell out of. Uh, and it became much less like a need on my part. Like, oh, well, there's a library of it. It's not actually scarce. Like, eh, you know, and I kind of stopped buying them. Uh, um, that actual scarcity definitely like gives it meaning, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's great, but... <laughs> But I think there's something we'll talk about in our next episode when we get more into like the digital versus print dilemma, which is what radically changed in the last couple of years was that comics got better on digital than they were before that. And I, I know the big argument against digital for me several years ago was the experience didn't translate and Obviously, the digital creators realize that. And instead of trying to translate the experience, they built a new one with yeah. guided view. Yeah. And yeah. now that we have a, a unique to digital way of consuming comics, it's it's become harder to resist, I think. Well, look, not to that, start, not to, not to dig, us, dig us into a hole, but like take that exact that that notion, kind of going back to the ephemeral sort of question. You know, if if everything's guided view, if, you know, if really good stuff is guided view driven digitally, and you know, imagine imagine you know the Jonathan Hickmans of of twenty thirty, you know, never produce a book. You just and this takes us back to the you know the the multiple subscriptions things, but you just subscribe to Jonathan Hickman, and he may have three titles, and you're like, I want, I'm you know, I want you know whatever his new version of East to West is, I want that. And there's never an issue, you know, there's never issues, there's never books, there's never, it, it is literally like whenever he and whoever his artists are just come up with, or he himself come up with panels, they just appear. So you may get an alert one morning and there's like six new panels, yeah. so you, you know, there's an update. So you're like, okay, cool. And you just literally, he's, it's just a, 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 a you know, trail of, of breadcrumbs as you go and as he, at, you know, wherever the, the spirit takes him. The ephemerality of that is very interesting, but it's just like, it's such a, because it's a subscription, the business model, you know, of that of people constantly sort of tuning in gives him sort of the, the runway to keep going 
versus, hey, I'm going to put out this book and this is the plan. And I, I, have to, I can only print them if I make X amount of money. Yeah. And that subscription uh, you know, platform cha- does change the way creators create and the, the frequency of it. And it's, there is something to that which may – you know, it may come down to the creator. Like, hey, I can I can only think in terms of a book. And that's fine. But some of them, I mean, some of the newer creators, kids being born now who have no concept of a physical book, who yeah. are free to kind of do whatever. They that's the most interesting thing to think about. And then how do you, you know, even in those situations, how do you take that work and package it as a historical statement? You know, how do you leave it for other generations to find long after you know the digital thing is is disrupted and changed? That's oh. I don't know. Oh my God. I, all I want to do is end it right there because that right. is such a great ending for that conversation. Cause we knew like, we knew this is not a, a, a Pepsi versus Coke where we're going to come up with a, a final, you know, answer to the query. We knew it's like, we're just going to ask more questions and yeah, yeah. yeah those questions uh, insofar as they are questions summed it up, I think. Um, And I would direct listeners, if you're interested in this, almost uh, three years and three months ago, um, you and I had a conversation called The Future of Storytelling in the Novel, where where we talked about a lot of stuff. That was episode number 11. Wow. Um, Yeah. uh, Go check that out in our archives. And while you are scrolling back through there, where can people find us, Taylor? Uh, this podcast is wherever podcasts are found. We prefer Pocket Cast, Google Play, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, um, all of those wonderful places. Look, uh, subscribe to Panelism. If you like us, uh, share it with your friends. Tell them about the show. You can follow us on Instagram. We are at panelism.inc. Uh, and having a lot of fun there. A lot of new folks finding the show there and going back to old episodes. So welcome if you're new to the show. And then if you want all of our stuff, it is just simply www.panelism.inc. That is the website. And you can find all our stuff there and more stuff to come. Excellent. Until the next episode. Until the next episode. Dot, I was dot, actually dot. waiting for you to say something. Oh. I don't know why I just thought like that'll cue you for a great day.